Good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so excited that you are here today to praise the Lord together, to worship Him. Oh, and while you are moving in and making some seat and making some room on the rows, please stand with us and let's praise the Lord together.
is our advocate, our attorney, our legal representative, and he fights for us. And I'm telling you right now, if you ever go into a court of law, you can't have anybody better than the Lord fighting for you. Amen. And you know what? I want us to pray about something specific right now that's a routine problem on the island, as you're well aware. Friday night again from about four something, I think, till about one in the morning, uh, there was a young lady clinging to a light pole on the bridge. I don't know the outcome. I don't know what happened. Haven't been told. Uh, but let's pray that she got down off that little wall and that she's getting the help she needs. And let's pray that God, you know, there's all this talk about putting up barriers and so on. Let's pray God puts a spiritual barrier on that fence and keeps people from even thinking about it. And if they do think about it, keeps them from going ahead and following through. Let's, let's pray that right now. So I'm going to lead in a word of prayer. And however you see fit, you pray uh, to the Lord that he would just put up barriers that maybe they're unseen, but you know what? They're powerful because he puts a hedge of protection around people. And so let's pray he does that. Our Father in heaven, what a beautiful place this is. What a beautiful island and a place to come and worship you and to come and enjoy the blessings that you've given to us in this world. But Father, getting here uh, over the bridge, uh, though it's beautiful to behold the scenery, it's also treacherous for those who've come to the end of their rope and come to the end of their hope. And so, Father, I pray that you would be that invisible barrier on both sides, more powerful than a fence, more efficient than a net, Father, that you would be there, that you would keep people from going to that place. Lord, we know Satan wants to destroy. We know that the devil wants to get in and give people the idea that there is no hope and there is no reason to be here any longer. But God, I pray that you would break that lie and break that chain of evil. And God, help people to be restrained by your Holy Spirit from doing something that they cannot take back. Father, I ask you to bless us today. Lord, thank you. I pray that this lady did come down. I pray that she's getting the help that she needs and that, Father, you would prevent others from going up to that place and getting to that point in life. And we'll thank you for all you're going to do and all you are doing. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. You may be seated. We're so glad to have you here. And uh, maybe you noticed the bridge today. There were people running. I didn't see anybody running. Everybody I saw was walking. <laughs> Their tongues were hanging out. Uh, but uh, I think it was the very end of the, of the race that uh, I, I one time went on that race. Um, my music pastor, my other church, and myself, and we ran over the bridge, and everybody took a left. It was going that way and went completely over into San Diego, and everybody went north. When we got there, we went south and got on the trolley and came back home. Uh, <laughs> That was part of the plan because it was on a Sunday morning and I didn't want to miss church. Nobody should miss church on Sunday morning to go run for crying out loud. So, uh, but anyhow, they, it, was, it was fun to run over the bridge that one time. Uh, want to be preaching today. First of all, welcome to everybody in the house today and welcome to those watching by way of Facebook and YouTube. We hope you get a blessing out of watching us today. Want to be preaching on the rejection at Nazareth. Rejection at Nazareth, and then military lunch on the patio right after this. So all of you in active military, you're invited to go get a free lunch. 
And if you are a teenager right now in the service, there's a class on the patio uh, meeting for the teens. So I invite you to go ahead and join them uh, anytime you'd like to right now would be great. Next Sunday, God called preachers. And I'm going to be praying about this message. I want you to be praying about this message because I want God to call some people out of our church to be in full-time ministry. I want God to, to pick some people. I, I, I got to think that in a church like this, there've got to be people that God's put his hand on and put his finger on and wants them to do something for him full-time. So, um, so be praying about that message next Sunday. And if God's touching your heart, don't wait until next Sunday. Go ahead and volunteer today. I will never, ever forget walking forward in a little bitty church that used to be called the Whistle Stop. It was a pizza place before it was a church. It was a bar before it was a pizza place. And it had asphalt tiles on the floor and Samsonite folding chairs. And we ran about 30 people. And I walked forward in that little church building and surrendered my life. And I have never, ever, ever one time regretted, never one time. So uh, if God's calling you, listen to him and, and obey him. Um, Unified Couples Retreat, you better hurry up. June 9th and 10th, if you're interested, uh, Michelle and David, right back in here, they got their hands in the air, see them. They'll give you all the details, June 9th and 10th. And David uh, is going to come and make a, a, an announcement about something we've been talking about. He's got the red mic here, Sean. So this is David Preston. Good morning, church. My name is David Preston. And the reason I'm up here is because I'm going to speak real quick about summer in the USA if you don't know Chris Pabasco and his wife Megan, they're part of a ministry that reaches out to young kids, mainly high schoolers, in the region of Basque in Spain, it's the northern part of Spain. Last year we heard about it. Uh, we were just weren't in a position to host any kids, and so thank God this summer we are. So there's two things really quick I want to share about this. One, why we're doing it, and then two, the, the need for it that's still needed. Well, Big part of our family is kids. We have four kids, uh, and we love we love the youth. We're involved here in Coronado and in Pearl Beach. We're part of Young Life, and to hear about this opportunity to give uh, a, a house and a, an opportunity to also share Christ to kids in in the Basque country that have no idea about Christianity. If you don't know already, the Basque country is not a highly religious part of Europe. And so they're, 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 they're moral people, but as far as Christianity goes, it's, it's not uh, prominent there. So what we're going to do is we're going to host a young girl for the month of July. There is a complete schedule set up for activities throughout the month, which is going to be great. Uh, but why do we want to do it? We want to be able to minister in the way that we think we best can minister. We want to open up our house. That's what our house is for. We want to be hospitable. We want to have an opportunity to share Christ and our kids to have an opportunity to live out Christ in so many different ways. So for those of you who don't know, there's at least five kids that still need places to stay at. And they don't have any place to stay and they're coming no matter what. So hopefully, you know, if they have to stay at my house, that's cool. We'll do it. Uh, but I mean, look, we got a lot of people here. And I'm sure you might know somebody that is willing to open up their house. Now, there is a process. So just because you want to do it doesn't mean you're going to get to do it. But I encourage you, please, if you're like on the fence, you've heard about this program, think about it. Talk to Chris and Megan. Have them come over. Check it out. I had a family down in IB that I recommended, and it turns out they're actually now hosting. And they're going to be just down the street from us, so we're going to have a big party. So here's the thing, folks. Please consider it. 
If you, if, you are, if you already know about the program and you want to maybe do it, think about it. If you're nervous about it, talk to me about it. I'm open. This is going to be my first time doing it. Ms. Uh, Fitz, he's done it before. I'm sure there's other families who've done it here too. And also, if you don't, if you're like, look, Dave, I'm just not in a position to do it. Do you know anybody that's in a position to do it? Think about it. And uh, again, I'm here, David Preston. If you want, tap me on the shoulder. I don't wear a name tag, but you know, I'm still here. <laughs> All right, David, thank you very much. And he's going to be right down here in the front. <clears throat> Check him out and let him know. If you're interested, let him know today, because I'm sure if they've got five students coming and they don't have a place to stay, they're probably getting a little not, not worried, because Christians don't worry, right? They're just getting concerned, <laughs> getting real concerned right now. So go ahead and do that. <clears throat> Yesterday, very special day. I don't know that uh, I didn't hear a lot about it on the news, unfortunately, but it was Armed Forces Day which is a day to celebrate all those who are actively serving in the defense of the United States of America through our military. If you are currently serving in the military, would you please stand right now and allow us to recognize you and to thank you for your service. We are blessed. We are blessed. God bless you. Thank you guys and gals for serving and uh, Appreciate it so very, very much. Now, one more thing before we have our second set of worship songs. If you are a visitor, first time here at First Baptist Church, or maybe the first time in a long while, uh, go ahead and fill out one of these, and you can put your information down. You can also put your prayer requests and so on, and I will send you a gift card to Starbucks for 10 bucks. okay? So you'll be able to... I, I, I was going to do five, and Julie said, you can't buy a squat at Starbucks. <laughs> So we're, gonna, we're, we're doing 10. So go ahead and fill this out. Give me the information so I can send it to you. I will promise you I mail it to you. I did that this week. And so uh, some people already received them. So go ahead and do that. Let's stand together as we worship the Lord once more in gospel song.
Thank you. you may be seated. That's a great song, actually, to lead into this one, because uh, the flawlessness of which we're going to sing about is only made possible through the cross. We're actually not flawless. We all know that we're flawless, but because of what Christ did for us on the cross, we are, we are indeed looked at as flawless in his eyes. We should be grateful for that. David, that's great. Costco, remember what I told you all. Thank you and Basque. Thank you for what you said. We're going to ask you to sing along on this one, so pay attention to the chorus if you can. It's got to be more than going back and forth. Doing right, doing wrong That we thought that's who we are Come on, get in line right behind me You along with everybody Thinking there's worth in what you do And like a hero who takes the stage When we're on the edge of our seat Saying it's too late Let me introduce you to amazing the bumps, no matter the bruises, no matter the pain, still the truth is the cross has made, the cross has made you flawless, no 
gets asked to sing specials. <laughs> they never ask me. And there's a reason for that, folks. Thank you, Bobby, and thank you, Sure, and thank you, Fitz, for accompanying. Great job. Appreciate it so much. I'm going to ask all the boys and girls, before you go to your class, to come right down here to the front for a couple of minutes, okay? So all the boys and girls, by the way, teens are still are meeting on the patio right now. Boys and girls are going to meet down here, and moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandparents and everybody else that's left over. Uh, Luke chapter 4 for our study, chronological study of the life of Christ today, a passage that I almost, almost missed completely and some of my references didn't really talk about it, but it's, a, I think, a valuable lesson there. I want to ask all you boys and girls, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been rejected by somebody? Ever been rejected? Has, has anyone, a team ever chosen people and they didn't choose you? That's a terrible, terrible feeling. Did any of you ever apply to a college or a university and get turned down? Oh, you're not old enough. Did you ever ask... 
Did you ever ask somebody for a date or maybe propose marriage and they said no? That never happened, huh? Well, it might someday. Uh, and you know what, boys and girls? We need to understand that the world rejected Jesus. His own family rejected him, some of them. And his town, hometown rejected him. And his whole nation rejected him. And billions of people have turned their backs on Jesus and, and rejected him. So if anyone ever rejects you, that's nothing that hasn't already happened to Jesus. But you know who never rejects you? Never, ever, ever rejects you? That's right, Jesus. Amen. Jesus never rejects us because the Bible says that whom the Father has given me shall come to me, and he that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. He will always, always, always love you and accept you. So no matter who else doesn't, Jesus does, and God the Father does, and God the Holy Spirit does, and that's enough. But I want you to know this. Your preacher also loves you and accepts you just exactly like you are, all right? So let's pray. Father, I thank you for these young men and young ladies, and I thank you, Lord, for the fact that they're in God's house and that uh, their parents and, and the grandparents saw it is important to have them here today. And I pray that Sunday school and church might be a pleasant memories, might be pleasant memories for them as they grow older, and it might be a time when they remember when they asked Jesus to be their personal Savior and when they responded to the call into ministry and and when they got married and, and all of the things that special things that happened in church, may they be great memories for these boys and girls, we pray in Jesus' name. And all the kids said, amen. amen. Thank you. And go ahead and go to your classes right now. And remember, Jesus always, always, always accepts you. Last week, last week on Mother's Day, took our break uh, from the, the Life of Christ series to talk about a mother's hall of fame or in some cases, a couple of cases, uh, Mother's Hall of Infamy, uh, a couple of the ladies, unfortunately. Two weeks ago, we recounted the healing of the government's, uh, of the governor's son, so just to, the nobleman's son, who was a government agent. And, and I remember, or reminded you at that point in time of uh, what Ronald Reagan says was the, the nine scariest words you could ever hear. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Yeah. So, uh, so this nobleman came, but he didn't come to help Jesus. He came asking for help, and guess what? Jesus healed his son. Uh, this week, we study a passage that, as I mentioned, at first I kind of overlooked in Luke chapter 4, uh, because not all chronological studies of the life of Christ, the reference books that I'm going through, actually hit this particular passage of Scripture. Uh, as a chronological guide of what Jesus did and when he did it and where he did it, uh, I'm using a couple of harmonies of the gospel, which are unique books. Uh, they're, they're the gospels laid out with uh, parallel passages. So you have, most of the time, you'll have Matthew, Mark, Luke, all agreeing pretty much on the flow of things, and John over here, uh, a whole different perspective. Not contradicting, but a whole different perspective. Uh, sometimes it'll only be Matthew and Luke, and Mark won't say anything about it. Sometimes it'll be Mark and Luke, and Matthew won't say anything about an incident. So, uh, so th that's, that's how I'm trying to piece this together. I've already found out that many commentaries... Um, on the life of Christ, tend to cut out some of the narrative, maybe thinking it's not um, necessarily applicable, or I'm not sure what their reasoning is, but I hope not to do that, uh, realizing 
all along that not all the gospel's resources agree on a timeline, so sometimes it's, that's the problem, is they happen in different times than what we, we realize. So the ones I'm using today talk about Jesus' return to Nazareth, and our text is in Luke chapter 4. So the first point is prophet goes home. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, the beginning there, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home. Now, it's significant that that phraseology, his boyhood home, is included there because it indicates it was no longer his place of residence. Nazareth, Nazareth was his boyhood home. If it was still his home, it would say uh, his home or the city of his dwelling. Uh, but he went to the place that was his boyhood home when he was growing up, and he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read scriptures. Do you remember uh, that uh, that Joseph and Mary were from Nazareth, not Bethlehem. You remember that? And do you remember uh, that, uh, that after Jesus was born, they dedicated him uh, at the temple? Uh, and, and so what we have here is we have, uh, here's Nazareth. That's the town that Mary and Joseph were from. Uh, that's where they learned that Mary was going to have a baby. It was going to be a virgin still, but she was going to have a baby. And so they traveled all the way down here to Bethlehem. And then when the baby was born, after this prescribed eight days, they went over to the temple in Jerusalem. There they dedicated Jesus to the Lord, had him circumcised. And there the angel warned them that, uh, that the powers that be were going to have all the boy babies slain in that area. So they went from there down to Egypt, over in here somewhere on this gray paneling. Uh, and, that's, and then, map kind of is a little bit short here, but uh, then after they received word that, uh, that the governor, uh, Herod Antipas, had died, Luke chapter 2, verse 39 through 51, uh, they traveled back from the gray paneling all the way up uh, to Nazareth again. So when Jesus was just very young still, he traveled over 1,200 miles, uh, and all of that, obviously, by foot or maybe with a beast of burden of some kind. Uh, but Jesus' childhood was spent in Nazareth then. That's where his father had his carpenter shop. And uh, now, not long after entering his public ministry, he would return to Nazareth. And uh, then after this short visit, he would go on to Capernaum, and Capernaum is just a little bit to the... Uh, right, and I can't ever make this thing work on the first time. Let me see. Yeah, uh, so so Capernaum is up here, right on the seashore, the Sea of Galilee, and uh, so they, he this would become his new base of operation uh, as he entered his gospel ministry. In the text, we're told that while Jesus was in Nazareth, he went to the uh, went as usual to the synagogue and read scriptures on the Sabbath. Sabbath was what day of the week? Sunday. Saturday, that's the Sabbath. The seventh, it means literally the seventh. The Saturday, Saturday was the day of rest prescribed by God in the Mosaic law. And so there are two constructions that are proposed for the meaning of this verse that he went to the synagogue as usual and read scriptures. And, and the first one is it was his habit to go to the synagogue. That was his habit, as usual. He went to the synagogue as usual. Is your habit to be in God's house on God's day? Now, we don't worship on the Sabbath, though there's no prohibition against worshiping on the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, we should worship on the Sabbath and on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on 
the Sabbath. We should work, worship every, and Sunday morning. We should worship every single day of the week. So it was his habit to go to the synagogue. Is it your habit to go to God's house when the doors are open, when we have a service? I hope that, in fact, it is. That's one of the meanings that, that the commentaries say. The other one is that the as usual really refers to the scriptures being read on the Sabbath, that the scriptures were read on the Sabbath as usual, as was the custom uh, in the synagogues. Now, um, may I say this, that anytime this preacher gets up here and does not use the word of God uh, as the basis for everything that I've said, it's time to turn me out to pasture. It's time to put a stake in the ground, tie a rope to it, and, and have, me, have me graze somewhere like Nebuchadnezzar of old, because it's the Word of God. It's not the Reader's Digest. It's not Time or Life magazine, which I don't even know if they're around anymore. It's not, uh, it, it is the Word of God that has the power that we need to live today. So, so this is the earliest known reference, by the way, to a synagogue service right here. And by the way, we were, do you realize, Patricia, we were at the location of the synagogue, not in Nazareth, but in Capernaum. There was a tile floor that they had recovered. And, and, uh, and I think I have a picture. This is, a, I don't know that this is the actual, you know, I don't know. I don't think they had a Polaroid back then. But uh, this is a typical, uh, not a very elaborate, not beautiful, but the remains of a typical synagogue. And it was a place where the Jews would go to worship on the Sabbath because they weren't able to travel to Jerusalem to be at the temple. Uh, so they had these synagogues. Now, a service in the synagogue followed a prescribed plan. And I haven't written all this out for you to, to, to catch. If you're interested in it, let me know and I'll get you a copy. But there was, first of all, private prayer on entry. And I'll tell you something. How much different would our services be if when we came to God's house, we had a little time of contemplative prayer as we walk into the house of God and say, God, prepare my heart. God, prepare the hearts of the people who are here. God, prepare that preacher. He needs a lot of prayer. God, help him to say something that's worthwhile, something that's beneficial. And wouldn't it be great if we all did that? And I, I want to say that I am so well aware of the need for the power of God in these services, because if he doesn't show up, there's no point in any of us being here. We may as well go walk and run and skip and hop and jump on the bridge, whatever, not jump, uh, run, <laughs> hop and skip on the bridge. Uh, so so they, would, they would enter and they would have private prayer. Then there was a public confession of the Jewish faith in the Shema or Shema or Shema. I'm not sure how I pronounce it, but it's the Deuteronomy chapter six passage um, that talks about the Lord, our God being one God and so on. And then it would be followed by prayers again. And then came the center of worship. The center of worship was the reading of the word of God. And they would read, and that's what Jesus alludes to here that he did. Uh, a passage from the Pentateuch was read, the first five books uh, of the Old Testament, and then according to a fixed scheme of lections by several members of the congregation in turn, and with an Aramaic uh, paraphrase, there was a lesson then from the prophets. So one of the prophets, whether it be a major prophet or minor prophet, um, one or the other, and then following that was another prayer, and then came a sermon. And you know what? It sounded like a pretty long service right now to me. I don't know about you, but uh, I'd be kind of fidgeting out there. Um, but finally, then there would be the Kaddish prayer reciting, traditional Jewish prayer. And then usually the readers for the day were appointed ahead of time so they would know who's going to be reading the scripture at the particular point 
in time uh, when the service began. We don't know if Jesus had informally asked permission to be the one or if God in his sovereignty had him pick, had the, the leader of the synagogue pick Jesus out to read it. Luke didn't go into the details of the arrangement, but you get the setting. Jesus went as usual and read scriptures in the synagogue, and that was the prophet coming home. And then the prophet reads scripture in Luke chapter 4, verse 17. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Uh, and, and so, first of all, let me just say that they, they had scrolls, and my wife made a, a great observation the other day. How difficult would it be to find references in a scroll as opposed to a Bible laid out in book form and especially if you have the little cheap thumb indexes like I've got uh, that would always give me an edge on sword drills uh, <laughs> or usually give me an edge on sword drills. Uh, but the scrolls were, were parchment paper written on, rolled up and kept in, rolled up and, and, and kept in very specific places, safe places in the uh, synagogues and later, probably like the ones found later in Qumran and the environments. Maybe... Maybe some of the scrolls, maybe the scroll that Jesus read from wound up becoming one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, entirely possible. But when he found uh, the, the book of Isaiah, and that was one of their favorite prophets, uh, uh, and it was he, a lot of Isaiah's writings in the Dead Sea Scrolls, Jesus read for them, and here's what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So this phrase, Spirit of the Lord is upon me, do you understand there's the Trinity veiled right there? Do you understand that? The Spirit, there's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the Lord, Jehovah God, there, there's, is upon me, Jesus reading this, saying that the, the Spirit of my Heavenly Father is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And literally, this word poor means to cower like a beggar. It doesn't mean necessarily poor in monetary fashion, but it means to, to beg, uh, to be a beggar before God. And I'm going to tell you something. Without God's blessings, we'd be in trouble. Uh, we, we come as, as poor beggars. I don't care if you've got multiplied millions of dollars. You cannot, I don't care if you're the, who's the creator of the Tesla? What's his name? Elon Musk. I don't care if you're Elon Musk. You cannot buy your way. He is poor when it comes to spiritual things. We all are. And so Jesus came anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, those people who are in most in needs of divine help and who wait upon the Lord to hear the word. And he said, he has sent me, God has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And the brokenhearted are those people who've lost all courage and all hope. It's the people who wind up going to the bridge, who've lost all hope. And hope, as I've said, is the very oxygen of our never-dying souls. As long as you have hope, and why in the world do I think of the Norwegian wharf rat, you know? My wife, I've got these illustrations I've used so many times that she cracks up when I even mention it. You don't know what I'm talking about, but they did an experiment with rats, and, and they would put them in, a, in, a, in water, and, and they would wait until, uh, see how long it took them to drown. You know, this is real, PETA was real crazy about this, uh, I'm sure. And, and so, so then they would, they would, at the very last minute, rescue these rats, and, and they would let them rest up again. Then they'd put them back in the water. And when they'd almost come to the point of drown, they'd take them out again. And you know what they found out? They could stay, they could hang on much, much longer if they had been rescued. 
because they had hope. And folks, when we have hope, we can hang on much, much longer. Not that you're rats or anything, okay, but uh, some of us are. So, uh, <laughs> but hope is the very oxygen of our never-dying souls. And he said he, came, he called me to preach to the poor, to preach to the broken heart, and to preach deliverance to the captives, the setting free of those who are enslaved, the recovering of sight to the blind, uh, those, and, and this word for the, the blind in the Greek means to be very like a smoke-filled area where you can't see very well, unable to see clearly. And by the way, eye disease was very common in Bible lands uh, in those days. And so the physically and spiritually, uh, they were blinded and couldn't see. And, and to set at liberty, those who are bruised or crushed or enslaved, like POWs were so much of the time, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And so he says, not only am I here for the poor, and I'm here for the brokenhearted, and I'm here for the captives, and for the blind, and for them who are bruised, but I'm also here to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, which is a reference to the Jubilee year. Are you familiar with the Jubilee year? You know what happened? If you bought property, you would pay X number of dollars for it, and, and the closer you got to the Jubilee year, the less you would pay for that uh, piece of property if it were sold again, because in the Jubilee year, it, was, it all returned back to the original families, all returned back to the old. So if somebody was an indentured servant, for example, you could, you could actually uh, enslave yourself and, in essence, become a servant to someone for a certain amount of money, uh, again, your, your value, if you were sold to someone else, your indentured servanthood sold to someone else, it would become less and less as you got closer to the year of, Ju uh, of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was something that poor people looked forward to because they were going to get back their inheritance. And so he said, I came to preach that. Uh, it's a year of universal release for the person and property. So as these maladies under which humanity groans today are revealed, they're set forth under the names of poverty and brokenheartedness and bondage and blindness and bruisedness or crushedness. So the glorious healer of all of these afflictions that this world knows, that you know and that I know and that the world knows, that Christ announces himself in the act of reading it as he announces himself as the one who's the healer of all of this. He is the one who will fix all of these things. And in this quote from Isaiah, chapter 61, he stops short of the last phrase in Isaiah 61, verse 2, that says, and the day of vengeance, because the day of vengeance would not come to those to whom he came to release and to give sight to and to set free. It would go only to those who would reject him. That's where the vengeance would go. So the passage Jesus read uh, is, is like the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint version, uh, signified by LXX, Roman numerals, which means 50, uh, 70 rather, because there were 70 interpreters who, who took the, uh, the Old Testament text and, and Hebrew and Chaldean and put it into the readable language of the, of the times, which was, um, which was Greek. And so you have here, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's, that's identical almost because the Lord hath ordained me to preach good tidings to the meek. That's a little different, the meek, the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That's right on. To proclaim liberty to the captives. That's exact. The opening of prison to them that are bound. That's a little more detail. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, same thing. And there's the last part, the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all 
that mourn. So it's a quote from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. In the original context, the prophecy uh, that Isaiah wrote referred to the self-consciousness of the prophet that he was revealing these things. But Jesus was saying, the servant of Yahweh is here. The servant of Yahweh is reading these verses. The servant of Yahweh is the one who will be your savior. So the functions of the Old Testament prophesied figure are now fulfilled in Jesus, is what he's saying, who has been anointed with the Spirit for this purpose. He had purpose. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. He came to seek the lost. What is your purpose? Is your purpose to fly an osprey? Is your purpose to paint the deck? Do you paint the deck? Probably not. You probably have some kind of, I don't know. Is your purpose to sell retail goods to the public? Is your, what is your purpose? Whatever your purpose is, it's beyond what we do for occupations generally. God has a purpose and a plan for you. We've got a fire department right over here. If you go over there right now, assuming there's no calls being made, uh, if you go over there, probably maybe someone's waxing the fire truck. Maybe somebody's sweeping the floor. Uh, maybe they're getting ready for lunch. And they're gonna, maybe someone's cooking up, some, getting some stuff out and getting it ready to prep. And if you ask them what their purpose is, they're not going to say, I'm here to cook. They're not going to say, I'm here to sweep. They're not going to say, I'm here to, to wax the truck. They're going to say, I'm here to fight fires. And we're here to fight eternal fires, folks. Your, your purpose is to fight eternal fires. Don't ever get to a point. I've heard so many people say this, preacher. I don't even know why I'm still here. I wish God would just take me on home. I don't even have a purpose for being Yes, you do have a purpose for being here. Find that purpose. Find what it is and fulfill it. Number third point here, the prophet explains the scripture. Now he read it to him. He made the application. He's going to explain it. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, the Shazan, which is the, uh, not Shazam, but Shazan, the synagogue officer. Uh, and he sat down and all eyes in the synagogue. And it wasn't a huge place. It probably wasn't as big as this room right here. Maybe not. All eyes looked at him intently. They were astounded by what they had just heard and seen, and, and they began, uh, he began rather to speak to them then. Now he's not reading from Scripture. He's speaking to them. The Scriptures you've just heard have been fulfilled this very day. So Jesus applies them very pointedly to himself. And everyone, the Bible says, spoke well of him, was amazed by his gracious words, the richness of his words, and the sweetness of his manner. That which came from his lips how can this be? They said. They began asking each other, how, how, how can this, isn't this, isn't this the Joseph's son? By the way, in Matthew 13, one of the synoptic gospels, verse 55 says this, almost the same thing. Is this not the carpenter's son? He's not had any formal religious training. He hasn't been to seminary. He doesn't hold any degrees. How, how is it that a carpenter can be teaching us and, and talking so powerfully? Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me with this proverb, proverb physician, heal thyself, meaning uh, do miracles here in your hometown like you did in Capernaum. So, and and what he, this idea of physician, heal yourself was a proverb like our proverb of charity begins at home. This is your home. This was your home as a boy. So why don't you do the miracles that you did in Capernaum? Why don't you do them here? We've heard about these miracles. We've not seen them. 
We heard about what happened in Cana. We've not seen it for, with our own eye. If we could see it, then maybe we'd believe it. You ever heard people say that? If we could, if we could just see a miracle, we, you know what? There, were, there was a whole country full of people who saw the miracles that Jesus did who wound up crucifying him. So don't think just because you saw a miracle, you, you would suddenly uh, be filled with faith. But charity begins at home. So do your miracles here like you did in Capernaum. Maybe they were prideful here. Maybe they were saying, you did them over there, but you didn't do it here for us. What's wrong with us? There were a few miracles performed there. They didn't mention that because Mark's gospel, another one of the synoptic gospels, says in, in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, and he could do there in Nazareth, no mighty work, save that he laid his hands on a few sick folks and healed them. Well, that's pretty significant if you're sick. Gary, it's pretty significant God healed you of stage four cancer. If someone, if someone in National City said, I know uh, he's done, he, he, he hadn't done anything over here in Coronado, but you know what? Uh, he did over here in National City. Gary would say, well, wait a minute, he did heal me. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool that God healed you, Gary, you know? Could have been a lot worse, right? Both Garys. Gary Webb, Gary, yeah, working. Well, maybe these healings were more private. I don't know. Maybe they were unknown to the general public. But Jesus continues, I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Jesus responded to their proverb with another one that's kind of like our familiarity breeds contempt. Ah, who was I talking with this morning who talked about it's so hard to witness the family? Yeah, Bo. Why is that? Why is that? Why is it tough? And maybe it's not for you, but, you know, I identify. That resonated with me. I remember I stayed, I lived with my aunt and uncle for one summer while I was work, had a job in between years in college, and, um, and my uncle, I love my uncle Ken. And I didn't know if he was a Christian or not. I didn't know if he was saved. And, and so I, I, I wanted to talk to him so badly. I talked to my aunt about it. I talked to my cousin about it. I hadn't talked to Ken about it. And I couldn't bring him. So you know what I did? I, I, I found his suit in his closet and I stuck a track in his pocket. <laughs> As if he wouldn't know, Jimmy's been in my closet. And you know, later on, I got to talk to him. And found out he, he did receive Christ. But this idea of why is it so tough to sometimes the people that we love? Because they knew us when we were in diapers. They've known every dumb thing we've ever done. They know that we're just one of the family, and all of a sudden we say this big thing happened to us, something happened to us, and, and something has changed. So, so we don't have the same influence sometimes with those we care the most about. He continues, he says, certainly there were many needy, many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years with that drought and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was, wasn't sent to any of them. The Israelite widows in a time of drought and devastation, Elijah wasn't sent to them. He was sent to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon, Gentiles, and many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the one, only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian, not only a Gentile, an enemy of the nation of Israel. So Jesus reminds the Jews 
that they're two great prophets that they loved so much, Elijah and Elisha, and two of my favorite prophets, by the way, bypassed those Jews who were near them to reach out to the Gentiles he mentions here. So now all of a sudden, this, this crowd that was astonished by him, this crowd that said his words are full of grace, they're wonderful, there's a turn here. The crowd's reaction to the prophet, verse 28 of Luke chapter 4. And when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Not aggravated, furious. Not ticked, furious. Thumos, to move impetuously, particularly as the air or the wind. Did you see the devastation of the tornadoes in the Midwest and in that area of our country over this last week? Did you see houses picked up off their foundation and crushed and cars piled up and all of the devastation? This, this, this impetuous air and wind movement causing devastation, a violent motion or passion of the mind, anger, wrath, indignation, all of that embodied in that word furious. In verse 29, jumping up, Rushing forward, they broke up the service. They mobbed him, and they cast him out of the synagogue violently. That's the idea of, of, of being of mobbed him. And they forced him to the edge of the hill on which he was, uh, the town was built. And, and again, it, it travel it lays down the, the full of land lays down to the lake. So it's, there's some high places there. And have you ever stood right next to a really high place? You see these pictures on the on the uh, internet where people are sitting on this stupid rock over a can. You know what? That's dumb. That is really dumb. And p- these kids do these weird things, climbing buildings now, and they and they walk on the edge of buildings. And I, I get the willies just thinking about it. Willies is a technical term. You need to check. <laughs> I had some pre med classes, so uh, you check them out. But uh, I, I, I have in my mind the Grand Canyon is one of the places. I remember one time when Ben was very young, family was very young, of course, and we went running up to an edge, and there was a, there were a couple of posts on this lookout, and there were a couple of chains across it. He ran up to that, and there was like loose gravel, and he slipped, and I thought he was going to go over, and I mean, I was terrified. We got up to the edge of it and looked down, and I thought, thank you, God, for taking care of it. Same experience in Yosemite. But I'll tell you one, probably the, probably the worst one besides almost my, my son almost going over, we were at Two Harbors in Catalina one time, and we were down at that motel where Zane Gray stayed or whatever, and we walked up the hill, and you get up the top of the hill, you don't know, all of a sudden, it is, I'm looking down on a helicopter that was flying. If you've ever been, and it creeped me out. I'm thinking, if a gust of wind comes, not that a gust of wind can blow me over, but (laughs) it was just freaky to be that close. And this is the idea. They took him to the edge of a cliff. They intended to push him over the cliff. This is, by the way, this was one of the forms of capital punishment that Rome meted out. They would drive people off of cliffs. They would, they would take their enemies and, and, and push them over and let them be dashed apart on, on the rocks below. But, he, but listen to this, verse 30. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Here is an irony to me. And none of the 
none of the commentaries that I checked pointed this out, but it just suddenly dawned on me. They asked for a miracle, and they gave him one, and they didn't even recognize it. They were, he was on the edge of the cliff. They had mobbed him up to that point. They're getting ready to push him over, and poof, he's gone. They, he walked on his way. He went right through. They, he gave them a He passed through the middle of the mob intent on killing him, and I would love to have heard the conversations after this happened. What happened? Where'd he go? What the... Heck, well, yeah, well, how did he get away? He was right here a minute ago. Did anybody see him? Hey, is he still here? The people in his own hometown tried to kill him. Now, that's ultimate rejection. That's ultimate rejection. They were fulfilling Matthew 10, 36, when Jesus said, and a man's foes shall be they of, of his own household. Last point is this, prophet's new home in Capernaum. Dr. Luke and I say Dr. Luke because he was a doctor. He was a physician. Dr. Luke underscores the fact that Jesus moved of his ministry operations to Capernaum. You know what? If you all decide to try to push me off of a cliff, I'm probably going to move my center of operations somewhere else too. I just, I'm just telling you. I'm just, just being real upfront with you right now. And Luke chapter 4, verse 31, they came down. And again, down only because, uh, the map's not, uh, only because, uh, if you recall, Capernaum, even though Capernaum is further north than is um, Nazareth, uh, he came down because, because he's coming down toward the, the lake, um, a city of Galilee, Capernaum, and he taught them on the Sabbath days, and they were astonished, in other words, stricken with amazement again they, uh, at his doctrine, which means his teaching, for his word, Logos, the same word that's used as a title for Jesus in John's gospel, uh, is used for his, his words that he speaks, the living word, the spoken word. Logos, his discourse, was with power, had the ability to accomplish something great. And let me close with this. I keep on closing. I, sometimes I close four or five times in a sermon, uh, so don't get too excited. But uh, Matthew corroborates all of this, and he says in Matthew 4, 13, he, Jesus, went first to Nazareth and then left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah in the land of Zebulun and of Naphtali beside the sea, beside the Jordan River in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus is the light. You feel like you live in a dark world? Let Jesus in. Let his light shine. And those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light was shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Are you ready for this? Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So let me conclude with these points now. You have trouble witnessing to family, people you work with? Is it because they're too familiar with who you were? This can work to your advantage in this respect. They see your testimony. They see the change in you. Yesterday, I had the rare privilege of introducing an 89-year-old man to Jesus Christ. And it's because at your dad's funeral, this family member, relative, 
became concerned about his spiritual condition. Went over to see him yesterday, got to lead him to Christ because he saw a difference in your dad, Gary. 89 years old, received Christ as a Savior. Don't give up. Don't give up. The power of Scripture is awesome. When he read the words of Scripture, they were astonished. They were amazed. Are we guilty of God, of wanting God to prove himself with signs and wonders? You know what I think that is? I think that's wicked sin. I think Gideon was not right in demanding the fleece be wet and around it be dry and the, the fleece be dry and the around it be wet. I think that that shouldn't have been something that he did. I think it shouldn't. We want signs. Look, this is a great sign right here. This points us in the right direction, always. The crowd, hometown crowd, reacted to Jesus in a violent way. And that's the way people may react to us. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And finally, there comes a time when we have to listen to God and move from one place to another. And when that time occurs, we need to make sure, you know, we can make our plans, but God directs our steps, the psalmist said. Let his light shine through us. Don't be the main thing. This is the last point. I promise you I'll close with this one. I promise you I will. Don't be, a, don't, be, don't be a Christ rejecter like Nazareth. Be a Christ acceptor like Capernaum. Would you bow your heads? Have you received Christ? Have you been born again? Question I asked this 89-year-old man yesterday who I've known for 50 years. Bill, do you know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? He said, no. I said, would you like to know? He said, yeah. And I heard him pray. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm going to stand before you someday. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins and rose, rose again. I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart. God's raised him from the dead. He called upon the Lord to save him. Would you do that right now? You say, how do you do that, preacher? I'm going to pray a prayer. If you mean it, if you're sincere, then you go ahead and pray this prayer to him. Say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've fallen so far short of what you want me to be. I know I'm going to stand before you one day. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he was crucified, buried, and rose again. And right now, I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that you have raised him from the dead. I'm one of those whosoever's who's calling upon the name of the Lord right now. Forgive me my sins. Be my Savior. I pray in Jesus' name. Every head still bowed for another moment or two. If you just prayed that prayer right now, sincere as you could be, no 
one's looking but myself. Just raise your hand up real high and let me pray for you. Hold it up real high. Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Anyone else? Anyone else? I won't embarrass you. I promise. Anybody else? Christian, somebody's given you, the Lord's given you the name of somebody that needs the that needs to be saved. Figure out a way to let your light shine in their life. Don't give up talking to them about the Lord. Even if they persecute you, keep on keeping on. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture, not even included perhaps in some studies on the life of Christ, but certainly an important passage for any number of reasons, mainly because every word that you gave us is important. So, Father, speak to our hearts. Help us to be obedient to you. And, Lord, if someone needs to receive Christ right now, I pray that they would do so. If someone needs to come and be a candidate for baptism or membership, I pray that you would lead them to do that. If someone's coming for special prayer or rededication, I pray that they would be obedient. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please, for our invitation? I will say to those who prayed, ask the Lord to be their personal Savior. On the table, the small table right outside of the sound booth, a little bit back behind the camera, um, there's some blue bags with some literature we want you to take with you. And there's a booklet in there that will help you know your next step, what you need to do next, called Because I'm Saved. Take that out. Study that. Take the material home. There's, I think, a Bible in there, a couple daily breads, a couple other things like that. It's for you. Free. No one will ask you anything about it. Just go ahead and take it. But if there's some kind of a commitment you need to make right now, anyone here, I'm going to be down here. My wife's down here. Ryan, where are you back there? Over there? In the back? Fitz over here. Agat over here. Rachel over there. We're, we're everywhere. So whatever we can do to help you, come and find one of us right now. As we sing this invitation, do what God wants you to do.
Okay, figure out what God has for you for the rest of this day. Do it. Do it tomorrow. Do it Tuesday. Do it Wednesday all, all week long, okay? We'll see you, the Lord willing. See you back here next Sunday morning. Let's be dismissed in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful, thankful for your blessings upon us, which are just too numerous to even begin to try to, to list. And Lord, thank you for being such a great God. Pray that you'd bless this congregation, each person, those that are going through tough times. Lord, be the one who takes care of them. Give us all hope, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you. Thank you. Have a great Lord's Day. Hallelujah.